Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, you know how you hate saying nice things about people? Hey, wait a minute. I like complimenting people. Uh-huh. Well, this is going to be hard for you today because uh, we're, we're, we're going to give props to a woman who writes a pretty darn good blog called Spit Bucket. Good. I'm looking forward to this. Don't worry, Paul. I'll be right here to help you through it. <laughs> <laughs> We're also going to agree with a recent post from that blog that said, education is not going to save the wine industry. Uh, I like her already. We say that all the time. Actually, we just say education is bad in general, don't we? Yeah, we do. Don't, wor- <laughs> don't worry, folks, though. Uh, Paul actually has been in school. Um, and, and he isn't always this grumpy. Uh, also today, <laughs> listeners ask if rosé is cheaper to make than other wines. Mm-hmm. How to tell if a wine will age if you get no clue from the label, Mm -hmm. whether all wines need to be stored on their side, and how long a wine that should be on its side is okay if it's not on its side. Okay. Plus, our horrible wine writing is pristine, immaculate, and moist. (laughs) 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 And as usual, we're going to be making fun of wine stops. Can hardly wait. Uh, By the way, yes, here we are still in the lovely studios and on the lovely uh, podcast lineup of Capital Public Radio. The recommended podcast lineup right there with Terry Gross and all the big names. Terry shudders. By the way, Terry, I've, I've heard, I've heard that privately. It, she's she's lobbying to get us off. She's written letters. Yes, yes. I can't really blame her. Um, also, uh, Napa Broadcasting, Paul. You know where yes, that is? Napa Valley College, institution of higher learning, and a great place to teach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says that because he teaches, and yet they somehow survive. There you um, go. And we're a- available everywhere you find uh, all your better podcasts besides that Capital Public Radio <laughs> right. podcast lineup, which is Spotify, Stitcher. Apple Podcasts, and we are, are on all the usual uh, uh, social stuff, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Rick and Paul Wine. Go there, ask us a question, uh, or insult Paul. That's fine, too. Why would they want to do that? I'm the nice one, Rick. No, no, you're the old one. I'm the nice one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on to Amber. Okay. So there's a smart, smart woman named Amber Lebeau, and she writes a blog called Spit Bucket. Easy to find, um, easy to remember, one word. Uh, she's been around the block a few times in the industry, she says, and she spent a lot of years in the retail trenches. Which she, is why she knows consumers. Absolutely. She also, Well, you know, there's those that are in the trenches that have forgotten, too. So, But she also calls herself a geek. But here's the great thing. She doesn't write like a geek. She understands that geek stuff is for the geeks, and when she's not doing geeking, she's awesome. She oh. also gives a warning when she does the geek stuff. And what she really does is write with common sense and with love about wine. Oh, how nice. She sounds like our kind of person. We should have her on the show. See, you missed the part where I said she was smart. Mm. Yeah, she's she's going to know better than this. Yeah, good she, point. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, she wrote a post not so long ago. Uh, and what's funny was you and I both found this independently and emailed each other and go, oh, this, we got to talk about this. Yes, we do. So we're, we're going to share it uh, because basically we totally agree with her. She talked about a nice guy who had posted a long, earnest video about how to educate consumers about red blend versus wines labeled as a single varietal, like, say, Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, which, I mean, let's start with he's made an educational video because education is the big <laughs> issue here, right? And Rick and I are both tired of hearing people talk about education. And meanwhile, how was the video? I, I didn't understand a thing. <laughs> apparently, apparently, there's this Cabernet Sauvignon, and then there's these red blends. Okay. And then if I'm going to sell them, I'm going to have to educate my consumers. Too I don't want, Actually, I don't want to pick on this guy. Too because, late for you. Yes. So I'm not going to pick on me. You know why? Because Amber didn't. Um, that's another good thing about Spit, spit Bucket. She is painstakingly not mean. 
Yeah, another reason we couldn't have her on the yeah, show. Yeah, I, I know. But good for her. Good for her. All right. So, we, by the way, we feel we can use her first name. Because she doesn't seem like someone who would mind. So well, she said, you said she was smart, right? Yeah, she's, so like, she, she's not going to listen to point. us anyway. Good point. Yeah, we're, we're, safe. we're safe. Hey, Amber. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, anyway, the head on her, headline on her post said, education is not going to save the wine industry. Agreed. The, she, she says, the we need more education thing is a direction she called a knee-jerk reaction anytime the wine industry deals with disappointing sales. Yep. She's absolutely right. And how many people have we quoted who said, that's the way to get more young yeah. people yes. to drink wine. Yes. We just need to send them to school for two yes. years. Yes. Because yes. that's edu- what they want to do. Then you can buy our product. That's a great business model. First, go to school, <laughs> learn a lot, listen to some snobby people. Okay, here's and, your bottle. And if you think you like it, you don't know enough. Wait, you've got to go to school for another year before you can really yeah. like it. All right. So uh, I want to read a short piece from her post. She says, Every single person reading this blog can think of, of sommeliers, wine stewards, and taste room associates that they've encountered who've leaned a bit too hard on the wine education. Yep. While some of it can be driven by arrogance and snobbery, for most folks, it's more of an overextension of passion. When you love wine and what you do, it's hard not to want to share that and use your knowledge to encourage folks to try new things. That was, I'm sure, I, I, this is me now, but watching that video, I'm sure it was that was the guy. It's He, yeah. loved, he loved it and he just wanted to share. Yeah. So this is but her that's again. all he knew how to share. Exactly right. So she, this, is, this is Amber again. That passion isn't bad. Wine education isn't bad, but it's imperative for anyone dealing with consumers to understand that uh, education is not the engine that drives sales. It's service. It's I would say service and enthusiasm. Yeah. But okay, yeah. service. Yeah. 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 The yeah. way to turn somebody into a customer is to treat them well. And treating them well does not mean picking up a piece of chalk and walking over to the blackboard. Yes. Yes, it does not. Yes. And and use your pointer. And, <laughs> and yes. your pointer. Yeah. Sit them down. That's right. Yeah. And at the end, you can give them a quiz. Yes. yes. And so, so Amber uses the example of going to see a baseball game. Right? Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. fans keep score. They're in every detail, every nuance. Right. Yep. And, right. And, but they most sit down folks, the first, the third baseline. Is that, is that is that where you're required to sit? Well, if you're serious, you, you want to be down close oh, to I the just, field. I, I like if, it. If you're like me, you like to sit way the heck up high where so, it's really cheap. So you can drink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I I love baseball. I'm a big fan. Um, I'm a little bit of a stats nut, but having said all that, I am absolutely in what she says. The reason why most folks go to the game is to watch the game, hang out with friends, have a beer or two, enjoy the sun, and enjoy the fun. Yep, that's right. Yep, absolutely right. So, We're with you, Amber. Keep going. Keep and, going. And she says that's a way most people approach wine, and there's nothing wrong with it. So. One last point that from Amber that really says it all. She says, we don't have an education problem in industry. We have an empathy problem. Here, here. And she says, she says, in my career, there's been no lesson more valuable to learn that the consumers want more listening and less lecturing. They want to be yep. heard and seen and served, not sold to. You know, it's funny. I teach big, big wine companies how to sell wine. And the first thing I tell them is you can't sell anything to anybody. You can shut up and listen. And mm-hmm. once you find out what they want to buy, you can make that possible. Yes. But that means a good salesperson is not somebody who says, let me talk at you for 40 minutes. A good salesperson is a question who's, is a person who says, how are you doing? What do you like to drink? What kinds of wines are you looking for? Tell me more about yourself. And how, how often have we read, you know, 
writers asking questions, sommeliers answering, giving these lectures about how how do they how change? How consumers a, don't understand what they're doing. Well, one of them is your favorite story about, about how they smooth. don't understand smooth, right? right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so consumers say, "I want a wine that's smooth," and the, and the psalms are saying they don't know what smooth means. They're apoplectic. <laughs> you know, they don't know. What, oh my God! They're running around with their hands over their heads, screaming. <laughs> they can't have one smooth. We don't want them to want smooth because. We don't know why That's we don't want to want easy. smoothie. Yes, because it's too easy. Too and, easy. But how often do you hear them say, you know, if somebody comes in, they orders a Chardonnay, how do you get them to buy something different? Right. Why don't right. you just sell them the wine they ask for? Exactly right. It seems right. like a good way to make money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just this saying. This is the wine business. Right? Yeah. Well, it's not coming into the equation. Yeah. And, you know, yep. it, it, is, yeah. it uh, is. And a, then you'd have happy customers. And then, oh, my God. Yeah. Then what? Yeah. And it is. It, it is it is it's unfathomable in some ways how stuck on this that so many folks are and you know in a few of the comments there although most of her the comments were her as supportive but we've seen these other debates about this very subject where yes. people go on and on about how somebody's saying that we should listen to our customers they don't understand wine this is <laughs> you know we need to tell them these things we need, they need to know for sure yeah. that the yeah. what the bricks should be Meanwhile, when they pick. at the Vancouver International Wine Festival I hosted an event up there. Wait, so you're still lording. Uh, here we are. A couple yeah, months later. I got invited yeah, fine. back. You didn't. And I, 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 and I was to asked do. to host on the Saturday, the last day. They have a series of sort of lunches and, and th- things around the city of Vancouver and these various restaurants. And my job was to host what was called a rosé brunch. We had eight winemakers from eight different parts of the world, and each one had brought a rosé, and we had a three-course brunch, and there were 80 people at this brunch, and I would guess that 65 of them were women. And we had a fabulous time drinking rosé, eating brunch, and I thought, thank God nobody showed up to educate anybody. Yes, yes. A we, fun a wine. And, thank, you know, and rosé, thank God for rosé in lots of ways because it still has that fun. It was pure fun. It, it has. Pure uh, fun. I, I say mystique is the wrong word. It has the non-mystique to it. The it's non-mystique. just a fun thing about it. It's a fun it. thing to drink. And it's the way all wine should be, but at least rosé is still that way too. So, uh, you know, I want to – back to that point about, about listening – is such what? A, it's who who who's here? Did I just hear a voice? Somebody talking? Yeah. Anthony, it, somebody talking in this show? It's I I just Oh, it's I, Rick. I cannot I'm I'm exasperated and can't even get a sentence out. But I'm sure you too, Paul, how many hundreds of times have we seen like at a tasting bar or at a, um, a trade show. Somebody set themselves up as, let me tell you all about what you need to know. And somebody comes in, they taste the wine, and they and they want to know you know, something simple like where yeah. we get it. Yeah. And they get these – or they don't even get a chance to ask a question. Yeah. They don't yeah. ask the person – What like, they want to know. So another one I really, really dislike is when they start to pour the wine, they tell them what the flavors are. Right. First off, that's how they're going to think about the wine. And second, why don't you let them taste it first? Well, well, because they might taste something else. <gasps> or actually, I, the way I always look at it is, you're going to tell me what it tastes like, I can hand them the glass back. Yeah. Great. You're right. <laughs> I'm sure it tastes just that way. I don't need to taste it anymore. Thank you very much. I like that. I like it. Well, Paul, you know who listens to people? Well, nobody uh, nobody, <laughs> nobody listens to us, Rick. No, but we listen. And you know, that's why we're going to answer some questions. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So thank you for listening to Bottle Talk. And we are going to answer some questions. If you'd like to ask them to us, we will listen to you closely. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Rick and Paul Wine, or on our, pod, our website. Google us, ask us a question, you'll hear.
we, we, we will hear you. We Chrissy hear you. in Sausalito. Chrissy, we hear you. Speaking of rosé, she says, it seems to me that rosé is a lot cheaper than most reds, but they use the same grapes. So it's just, is it just cheaper to make? And if it's cheap to make, then why do I also see $80 rosés? Well, first of all, one of the reasons you see $80 rosés, um, Chrissy, is because you can find people who will pay $80 yes, for a rosé. Because they could, because they, and it's, you know, wine reps being wine reps. People, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're going to charge whatever you can charge in the hopes that you can get somebody to pay for it. It's probably not going to be that much better. So, yes, rosés are cheaper than most red wines to make, Simply, and, and it's simply a, 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 sh- a sheer financial question. You can get rosés out on the market within four months of harvest. And most red wines need to sit in your winery at least a year, and some of them two years, and some of them three years before you get them out. And tying all that money costs money. So just on the basis of that alone, rosés are cheaper, and even faster than some whites. So yes. yeah, so I mean, yeah. you don't have storage. You've got it's. Um, it is actually it is not the the world's simplest wine. We're making it sound like it, but you know, getting getting the levels right of how long. Because remember, very quickly is that it's. Oh, Wine that sits on the grape, the skins for a little while, and then is taken off. Right, um, and so getting that how long is is a, a delicate little trip, and right. also when to pick is a little different than from red grapes. Well, but then one of the reasons that some rosés are less expensive is because, frankly, they're a byproduct from right. making I was just saying, red but there's wine. leftover wine, so there's that because too. Yeah. if if you are making a red wine and you want to get that red wine more concentrated, one of the things you do is you bleed off a little of the juice, so there's less juice, more skins, so they absorb. It's like making your tea uh, more concentrated by using less water in the teacup. Um, And as a result, that juice that you pull off, lightly pink, you think, well, we could either pour it down the... I know. Let's not pour it down the drain. We'll put it in a bottle, a really pretty bottle, and we'll charge people $80 yes. for it. But yeah. Though, if you do it on, if you do it correctly, you, you get two for, a little bit of a two for two. So, so, fundamentally, it is a little bit cheaper to make than... Ro- or it is much cheaper to make than reds. Yeah. Um, not necessarily in some whites, though, but... No, uh, although the most expensive whites often get aged in oak, and right. most rosés don't get aged in oak, so you don't have right. to pay for barrels. Right. So, it is about the the simplest wine to make in terms of just technology terms of cost. and cost. Yeah. 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 So so that's yeah. the reason why. And it's delicious. And it's delicious. Sixty-five women in Vancouver cannot be wrong. Well, the fact that they endured you, I'm just saying. We had fun, Rick. Yes. Uh, all right. This is from Stuart in Chicago. Uh-huh. He said, I've always read that wine should be stored on its side, but one of the good restaurants here has their wine standing up. So I have two questions. Do all wines need to be stored on their side? And if they do, how how long can a wine stand up before that's bad? Before we answer this, Stuart, I want to say we hear you. <laughs> We're listening to you, Stuart. Yeah, listening. To um, you. First of all, do all wines need to be stored on their sides? The answer is no. And there's a particular easy reason to, way to know. Yeah, because they use a different cork. Yes, uh, or or a screw cap. Yeah, if a screw cap, obviously not an issue. And with corks, if they use that little what is called a bar top, it's half plastic and half cork, and it fits over the top of the bottle like a little cap. You see it on Tawny Ports. You see it on Madeiras and things like that. Those wines shouldn't be stored on their sides because they'll leak. Those should be stored standing up, and you should drink them within about a year of when you buy them. That's the Tawny Ports. but Or, yeah, the wines, too. Right. Yeah, yes. Sherry's, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and, and, uh, and the reason why wine is stored on its side is to keep the cork moist 
so right. it does so it doesn't shrink right and so that the air doesn't get it and so the, the answer to the second question how long can a wine stand up before that's bad that's really a question that depends to a huge extent on so many factors and you don't know um, it can certainly certainly wines can stand up for a month without any problems uh, a year probably remember that the idea is the cork doesn't want to, you don't want the cork to dry out the airspace between the liquid and the wine is usually pretty high in humidity so it's hard for a cork to dry out but it generally dries out from the top down and so the only way you find out is at one point you pick up a bottle and the cork falls into the wine and you think oops this cork dried out completely and remember that happened with one of the most expensive wines ever sold in the history of the world. I did not know this. A Thomas Jefferson etched bottle of wine that a collector had, and he picked it up, and the cork fell down in the bottle. Ooh. Yeah. Well, at least we know this wasn't a fake. Well, maybe it was, or maybe it wasn't. Or maybe they did, faked it so well. He didn't get Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson did not reimburse him for yeah, the wine. There, but there, that. as an aside, there were some fake Thomas Jefferson yeah. etched wines. But yes, yeah. going, so, going down a different road. So anyway, uh, generally, wine should be stored on its side. But if you're in a restaurant and you're turning over bottles, most restaurants would like most of the wine in their in their restaurant to sell through in sixty days, ninety days, something like that. They try not to have wines sitting in in on their wine list for two or three years without selling. So you get a reasonable flow there, and it probably isn't an issue. And it's probably, if the wines you're seeing, they're probably wines that are up front for wine by the glass or that or, they expect to get them pretty quick, moving pretty fast. Right. There is one other thing that you should look at, though, when wines are standing around a restaurant, which yes. is what are they getting... Are they hot? Is there light? Well, there's another issue, which is many res- many wineries provide display bottles to restaurants, and they're not really full of wine. Oh. And they're and just to show TDS. off in, yeah. the, in the restaurant. Right. Often the wine's up front. Kind of uh, like Rick. But uh, I am kind of the show pony just, around here. Right. You just yeah. put him in the front of the yeah, restaurant, and people just I'm a draw. walk in. I am a draw. Um, so, and, and also, Seward, for you, by the way, if it's so really, if it's wines you brought home from the store, uh, don't worry about it. Just... Don't stick it above the dishwasher or the, the <laughs> stove. Or yeah, don't like stick that. it above the stove or the yeah, fridge. Not good. All right. That's questions for now. But we have heard you all. <laughs> and we will be asking, uh, we will be answering some more. But first, we have some really horrible wine writing. Well, we've heard, uh, we've heard these writers too, Paul. Yes, we have. And, and, and sadly, we've even heard some wacky music there. Yes. Okay, here's one that's, that's just wrong, Rick. Okay, can I just say it's wrong to the beginning? <laughs> this slightly off dry on the palate and screams pyrazines on the nose without the VA that you might have imagined. <laughs> Boyed is, by uh, ample fruit weight. Boyed by weight. Right, right. Boyed by weight. Right. Okay, light and moist. Pristine, okay. pristine quince, your favorite crushed stone, <laughs> yes. a crisp line of tangy peach, and a lingering limestone finish. Okay, I have no idea what a limestone finish is, but I will tell you that VA stands for volatile acidity and has nothing to do with pyrazines. Right. And right. why they think that you're going to have pyrazines and VA because they go together, they don't go together. Whoever wrote this doesn't know a thing about wine. And and this screaming, well, they, they and screaming pyrazines on the on the nose as, as if. That's like a thing, a good thing. Well, what, explain what that nose. is. What is that? What is Pyrazines it? in your nose, not yes. in my nose. Yes. I liked Boyd by Ample Fruit. Yes, weight. I like that one too. Because too. the weightier the fruit, the more you're going to Boyd. Boyd by, right. So it's risen up by the heavy fruit. Boy, oh boy, oh also, boy. Also, light and moist. 
Yeah, light I, and moist. That's, I'm, it, it sounds like an angel food cake. Yeah, I it's sort of. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. What do you have? I, well, oh, I, got, I got one more. Is the pristine quince. <laughs> how, do, how do you keep quince pristine? I like the lingering limestone. Yes. It's like somebody hit you in the back of the head yes. with a rock, it's, and the pain will not go hurts. away. Right. <laughs> so this one is toasty oak on the nose with prune and roasted dates. Ouch. Uh, yeah. The Immaculate Minerality. <laughs> this is for you, Paul. The Immaculate is, Minerality. Is, I think there's a church in there Sacramento was, called the Church of the Immaculate Minerality. There was never a mama or a papa mineral. <laughs> <laughs> it just came out. Oh, of this is great. It's, it's really nice. As the wine shows, a good tension and sense of place. Oh, good. Uh, okay. Uh, red raspberry cordial and red and black fruits and a bouquet of chocolate box dominate a palate with suggestions of baked herbs and dried stone. Dried stone. Dried stone. <laughs> so this one is not moist. No, this is not a moist stone. This is a dried, a dried stone. stone. This is a, well, this, dried means that it sounds like the stone has been aged for a while. Yes. So it's in there with the like the. So you think cellar. I'm thinking Grand Canyon? Yes. Oh, dried I'm, think, I'm thinking the stones in like the cellar. Oh, okay. And it's just you know, I still like laid, I still like the fact that it's the nose, on its side. The <laughs> noon the the nose is prune and roasted dates. <laughs> I'm sorry, that says to me this wine should have been. That's a, yeah, you got some. This is remember we had a question not so long yeah. about bad wine. This yeah. sounds like we're headed down that road. Yeah, that sounds like I a bad the wine. The Immaculate Minerality, dear Lord. Imma- the Church of Immaculate Minerality. Right. So, Rick, Paul, we got to start that church. I think rather than those horrible wine descriptions, I think we need to talk about some wines we do love. Excellent. I love you so. Ah, uh, yes. There are some good wines in the world, and we're going to recommend them. So I'm going to talk about wines from Tuscany. And people know the famous wines from Tuscany. You probably know Chianti Classico or... I do, I do. Or Brunello de Montalcino. I do, I or do. Or Vino Nobile de Montepulciano. Oh, we were just talking before the show how we like saying that. Yes. yes. But, you know, if, if your wine... If you're a producer and your wine, either you make too much wine or some of the wine you make doesn't qualify for those higher end and very expensive uh, wines, you can find in Tuscany simple red wine called Rosco, Rosso Toscano, and some of them are really bright and fresh and delicious, and they're a great value, and I'm going to recommend the next time you walk into a wine shop, Ask to see their Italian section. And in the midst of all of those big names, just look for a nice bottle of Rosso Toscano. Go home, have a nice Italian dinner with Mama, and you'll be happy. I had a bottle, actually, literally just the other night. It had worked its way to the front of my lift. I have a list of like the wines I really want to drink right away, and I haven't quite gotten to it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it made it way to the front of the wine, and I was really happy to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, and it was wonderful. It is. Yes, it's yeah. really great. It's yeah. lovely. Would you the say that it had light. a nose of prunes and roasted it, dates? It, uh, no, but it, it's a minerality. was immaculate. <laughs> it was. It's not a drop of... Anything on the minerality. <laughs> okay, so, what do you have? So here? mine is uh, really it's the ground zero of Sierra Foothills Barbera. It's Boger Barbera. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. They they were one of the first. Yeah. Um, you can find them all yeah. over and and Sierra Foothill Barbera is a style that is very different from Italian Barberas, which are lighter and brighter. Yes. These are and but Barbera does something really well in the Sierra Foothills. It does. And, it really is wonderful wine. And it's you know it's in a way it's it's, it's almost like its own animal and and Boger does is a great job of that. But I can I can name you five others: Caradoro, yeah. Montevigna, Iron Hub, Andes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Jeff Runquist. Runquist, um, lots wines. of good ones out there. It's almost don't worry about it. But if you see yep. a Sierra Foothill 
Barbera, and, yeah. and, and but Bogers at the front of the pack uh, by virtue of just wonderful people and 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 great wine, great yeah. great wine. And Rick and I have been invited upon occasion to go up and judge the wines of the Sierra foothills and the Barberas up there. Always, always good. Always good. Yes. Always end up at the top of the pack. All right. All right. Well, because we are still listening to people, we are going to take a few more questions here, Paul. Okay. And if anybody would like to ask us a question, all our social, go there and ask away. We will hear you. So this is from our great new friend. Yes. This is John in Farmington, Michigan. John McLaughlin. He checked in with another good question. And John, as we know, you listen because you listen to all our shows. Uh, and uh, John, this is John's question. You always say that most wines today are made to drink right away and don't need to age. <laughs> we just talked about that. Yes. You also suggest it might be a good idea to hold a wine for a while to commemorate a special occasion in personal history, such as the birth of a child or an engagement. Yep. I think I've learned from you that wines are a little more that are a little more acidic or with sugar or tannin will probably age better than those that don't have those things. Uh, but they don't list those things on the label. So how do I know which wines will age well? A great question and not an easy answer. No, it's not. Um, first of all, I would say the most important thing of all, if you're looking at whether a wine will age, is balance. And you, you're absolutely right, John. There is no way to look at the label and say, oh, this wine is balanced. No, Rick, it doesn't mean holding it on one finger and seeing if the bottle will... Yeah, that's not what we mean by balance. But you spin it. <laughs> you spin it. Um, and so I'm going to say, John, that the easiest way to know this is knowing the track record of the producer. And that means you probably have to ask somebody at the store or read some articles to see which of these, which of the producers, if you pick a kind of wine you're looking at, pick the producers and see how well their wines have done in years past. Um, in general, bigger red wines tend to age well. But, for example, Cabernet ages better than Zinfandel mm -hmm. because, frankly— Yeah, and Zinfandel really doesn't age all that well. It, yeah. Because Cabernet in general is a little more balanced than most Zinfandels. A little but more tannic. there too. are exceptions yeah. to that as yeah. well. So it really does get down to producer uh, who does a good job and who makes wines in that style. And, for example, I had a conversation with a very, very famous winemaker in Napa Valley the other day. And I said, you know, you're kind of making wines in a new style now. How are these going to age? And he said, you know, I don't actually know. I'm making a new style. It's very popular. Uh, they're getting great reviews, but I've never made wine in exactly this style before, and I don't know how they're going to be 20 years from now. Now, and if you're not buying super expensive wines, here one way is to buy more than one. Yes. And if you, my rule is you have to it. buy at least three. Yeah, yeah, it's a good rule. Go ahead and explain this. Well, because if you buy one bottle and you drink it and it's perfect, you think, oh man, I wish I had more of this wine. If you drink it too soon. Oh, man, I drank it too soon. If you drink it too late, oh, man, I drank it too late. But if you have three bottles, you can drink one. Oh, man, it's too early. And then you get that one bottle that's just perfect, and you think, I still have another one in the cellar. I can drink it again next week. Yeah, it's, and, it's a perfect system. Yeah, and why not get three? You're going to drink three bottles of wine eventually anyway, so give it a shot. That's, that's right. That's one way. And, and the other thing, John, is there are a handful of wines that— Tend to age better than others, and and Paul was talking about Cabernet as one. Yeah, you know, so the big those big tannic Bordeaux, yeah, Bordeaux from and, France, and um, and um, some of the Italian wines like Chianti Classico would be another Vanilla, one, or, yeah, or yeah. Nebbiolos, and, and yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and on the white category, Rieslings that have some sugar in them, and you can tell by the names 
which we're not going to get into. Uh, but the wine sellers can tell you certainly that whether yep. they're there's and, and the one thing I would suggest, John, is don't ever buy a wine that you don't like, thinking that as it gets older, it's right. going to get good. Good point. Right. It, buy stuff you like the way it tastes now, and watch what happens as it gets older. But if you don't like the wine when it's young, do not assume that aging it's going to make it taste any better. Probably won't. No, I'd say regift it at that point. That's right. Give it to Rick. Yes, he'll, he'll uh, drink anything. I'll, I'll choke anything down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one more. This is from Aaron and Davis. She said, "I heard you guys talk about." Whether we should ask for an ice bucket for a white wine at a restaurant, but I wasn't paying all that much attention to you. See, Aaron. See, she's not listening. What? Have we not talked about this? All right. <laughs> We've talked. <laughs> it doesn't mean right. anybody was listening. So she says, because she's going to listen now, which wine should we, should we get an ice bucket for? And I have the perfect answer to this question, Rick. Okay. The wines you should get an ice bucket for are the ones that you don't think are cold enough. <laughs> well, that's true. Or, well, with one exception, that's bubbly because it always should be cold. Um, but still works. Yes, but if it's still, still works, well, unless you're gonna, uh, well, unless you're gonna drink it the way I do, you, it might warm up a little yeah, for yeah, on no, you. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. Rick doesn't even bother with a glass, so in that case. Yes, not even necessary. But but right, it's we think at best, and it could and it could even be a red. Yes, to chill it down. Most, just a bit. most reds are served too warm in America. All whites, uh, often in restaurants, can be served ice cold. They don't need an ice bucket. But the answer to your question ultimately is: you know, when the waiter gives you that first taste, when the, when the psalm or the waiter comes over and pours you a little taste of wine, and everybody says, "What am I supposed to do?" I would say, possibly these days, the most important thing you're doing is checking temperature. And if you don't think the wine's cold enough, turn to the waiter and say, "You know, it seems like a really nice wine, but it needs to be a little colder. Could you throw it in an ice bucket for yeah, ten and, minutes?" Yeah, and and the Rick addendum is that if it's a bubbly, I say that it never hurts to have the ice bucket because bubbly is really right. good cold. Right, and and it helps it keep the bubbles in as it as you drink it. That's right. Well, speaking of keeping the bubbles in, we've lost all our bubbles. <laughs> we've shot our bubbles. Our fizz is gone, so we are ending the show. <laughs> that is it for another round of bottle talk. Our producer is Anthony Van Hook, who is effervescent as ever. Thank you, Anthony. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on their podcast lineup. Recommended podcast. God bless them. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, and ask us a question at rickandpaulwine.com or on any one of our uh, social media at Rick and Paul Wine. If you learned anything today, we hope it's, you don't need a master's in knowledge in viticulture to drink wine. And if you're in the industry... Listen to your customers. Don't try to education. Educate them. <laughs> Just listen. Just listen. And if they do ask, then you can educate. Eh, maybe. Yeah. If they do ask, be gentle. Yeah. Eh, maybe. <laughs> no. <laughs> Always be gentle, but don't don't push the education. Be gentle like us, Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines are the wines you drink with friends or with us, especially us. Mm-hmm.